Thank you for joining us for In All Things, a weekly podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, State Clerk of the EPC. We pray that God uses Dean and his guests to inform and inspire you about the EPC and how God is working in and through our global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian Churches. The motto of our family of congregations is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty. In all things charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you very much again, Rachel. As always, very much appreciate your helping the conversation get started as we gather together in this venue to discuss things related to the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, but I think go well beyond the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And so if you're listening in and you're not part of the EPC family, well, first of all, we'd love to have you as a part of the EPC family. But if you're not, Welcome to the conversation. We're glad to have you. Whether you're listening on that walk uh, in the morning with your pup, or whether you're sitting down with your favorite uh, morning hot beverage and just starting the day out, uh, the fact that you've chosen to spend some time with us in these conversations that drop every week at your favorite podcast site, we're grateful. Grateful for your time. Grateful for you sharing the word. We are a pretty low cost, low overhead, just down to earth ministry. Truth be told, in all things, a podcast studio is a former closet. We cleaned out the closet from a bunch of junk uh, and turned it into a little studio. So, hey, we're grateful to have you along. Today, I'm especially excited to have a conversation with a dear friend, Roger Woodworth, longtime part of the EPC. He's been a pastor. He's been a church planner, was deeply involved early on in things such as the Candidates Educational Equivalency Program, or what we call SEEP. A lot of the things that actually are who the EPC has become and things that are important in the way we use things, understanding small churches, church planning in particular. Uh, Roger has been there all along, but in his golden years, which honestly, you don't look one day older than like the oh, first day I met bless you. your heart. Um, you've, you've become an author and you've, you've found, you've yes. been a seminary professor, you've done coaching and mentoring, you've done a lot of stuff, but now with all of this extra time on your hands, apparently Wendy doesn't keep you busy enough. Yes. You're putting your thoughts down on paper and you've just come out with now your third book. Correct. Right. So we had kingdom holiness to start and then we had, um, playing favorites Correct. and, and you were on this podcast to talk about that before. Yep. And now we have a new book called the architecture of truth. So Roger Woodworth, welcome back to in all things. Thank you, Dean. It's always a pleasure to be with you, being my good friend, and you give me a lot of confidence to be able to to do this, uh, looking across <laughs> your face. <laughs> I've never had somebody look at my face and say that gives them confidence before. That's a new one, but thank you. I appreciate it. Well, before Roger and I dig into the conversation, today's episode of In All Things is brought to you by an EPC-endorsed ministry called the Coalition for Christian Outreach, or the CCO. Roger and I both worked for the CCO. Correct. Now, Roger, was the, you were the director of... Cross cultural ministries. Cross-cultural ministries and planted a church called New Hope EPC in the Marshall Shadeland section of Pittsburgh, which is an area my, my sons used to live in that mm-hmm. community. And That's right. We used to, Forgot that. We used to hear stories about it on the news pretty frequently in Pittsburgh. And it's a, it, a, an under-resourced, uh, challenged community that you invested in deeply and had a whole community development model around church planning. But uh, Roger and I both have been deeply affected by the ministry of the CCO. And if you've been listening to this podcast at all this year, you've heard some of the lead-ups to a conference they have called the Jubilee Conference. And now that Jubilee is kind of in the rearview mirror for 
this year, you might be out of sight, out of mind. But I hope that you'll consider the fact that if you or your congregation are anywhere close to a college campus, there's a great ministry connected to the EPC called the CCO. We especially like organizations with three letters, just like we have. So you've got the CCO and the EPC partnering together for maybe one of the most important demographics in our society, which is this vulnerable group of, of say, 18 to 25-year-olds who are on American college campuses uh, beginning to frame a worldview and how they understand themselves, the world in which they live, and what their role is. And um, the CCO does it as well as anything. And I think their motto for this last Jubilee was everything matters. Yes. Um, and you could say that's a version of in all things all things to his glory, to his praise, for his purposes. There's, uh, whether visible or invisible, it all comes from him, all goes back to him, including uh, college students, their studies, and their calling and vocation. So this episode is brought by our mutual former employer, the CCO. So, Amen. Having said that, let's dig into the conversation. Roger, you've, you've got another book going, and tell us what led you to sit down and work in this direction, because this is, you know, it, it, I could see the flow out of kingdom holiness. Playing favorites is a particular area of interest for you, having worked in a cross-cultural setting all these many years and kind of bridging the gap. I think you're a bridge builder between uh, different communities in that regard. But the current cultural milieu or zeitgeist or whatever you want to describe it that we live in, the idea of objective truth is is almost as alien as literally an alien. So what caused you to go yeah. after this? I think both in the cultural, general, and political, more oh. specifically, untruth had become kind of predominant. Uh, we began to no longer care about the actual truth. Uh, I think I quote Oprah Winfrey as talking about everybody has their truth. In other words, your truth is really specific oh. and, and important. And that's kind of where the culture, I think, has gone, especially politics. It's, it's your truth. In other words, how you look at the world is, is what's important. And I think I said it actually becomes the one with the loudest voice and ends up becoming the truth. And that is no more, more significant than in our political mm. realm. Mm. In fact, not only the loudest voice, but people actually telling lies. I mean, a few years ago, we elected a person to Congress who had a resume and an entire life that was full of untruths. And once it was finally discovered, they eliminated him from Congress. But initially, that didn't seem to make a difference to the people that, that voted for them. And so <clears throat> I really wanted to, to begin to address that. And the subtitle is this, is uh, <clears throat> Reclaiming the Gospel from the World's Untruth. And in uh, Titus chapter 3, we have a really compact but very deep recapturing of, of the truth. And Paul was telling Titus he was concerned about entire families that were being pulled away from the truth uh, by false teachers. And so Paul instructed Titus to help them reclaim the truth. And so he does that, at least in <clears throat> chapter 3, and really gives us a wonderful synopsis of the gospel, trying to again pull people back to the reality of what the gospel is. And that was, a, I mean, if you look at Paul's writings, the preponderance of his correctives to the local church is dealing with false teachers. Yes. 
Absolutely. And um, are we at a deficit here, Roger, in terms of the church being able to call out false teaching? So, for example, I'm thinking about the prosperity gospel. Um, yes. You have a lot of stuff on television or in media that sounds like Christianity, but upon further examination, looks like a distortion of the biblical faith. And and have we found a way to do what Paul did and and say to our churches? here's how you separate what's actually gospel truth versus someone who's distorting gospel truth? Yeah, I think part of the, the issue, and we were just discussing this at the Revelation 7-9 team meeting, and that we have begun to focus too much on the church. With good intentions, we focused in on church growth and getting numbers, et cetera. So we start with a, an ecclesiology that begins to shape a missiology and, and unfortunately, we end up with a diminished Christology. Mm. And we really should be starting the other way around. We start with a Christology that directs our missiology and that shapes our ecclesiology. Mm. In other words, for the sake of numbers and the sake of growth, et cetera, et cetera, we put too much focus on the church itself and in the process ending up with a diminished Christ and understanding of the truth. Right. Because um, God is truth. Christ is the truth. And in fact, Jesus himself said, I am the truth. Right. And so my attempt was to kind of get back at that so we can reverse that whole process and start whether we are growing a church or planning a church or even the growth of an individual in discipleship. We start with Christ and uh, diminish all that the culture teaches us about what it means to be a church or to, to, to grow. Right, right. It's pretty important that we recognize where we start, because that's going to influence, obviously, where we end up. So, for example, in my role as a stated clerk, there are people who would propose uh, polity solutions to theological problems. And I say to people, well, uh, we need to be clear on the theology before we propose a polity that supports it. Uh, Otherwise, you kind of get the proverbial cart before the horse. So what you're saying is, is that when it comes to the whole idea of addressing truth, we have to make sure that we get our Christology or theology before we get our understanding of, of, of what we're doing, missiology, or our sense of um, how that is organized ecclesiology. Yes, absolutely. And again, I mentioned this in our committee meeting uh, earlier, that we are too driven by pragmatism rather than a good, deep understanding of Christ and the theology that flows out of that. Um, and, and pragmatism, unfortunately, drifts away from the truth sometimes. We get so caught up in uh, how can we grow disciples or how can we grow a church or how can we increase the numbers, and, and we lose our sense of, of truth. Um, and it's not so much outright ex- explicit truth that we've gotten away from, but it's, it's downplaying the truth and packing things around it that are less important than the, than the truth of who Christ is and how he grows the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And pragmatism gets us too focused in on secular kinds of things and how to grow the church, for example. So let me ask, let me drill down on that a little Mm -hmm. bit and and see if I understand this. So if you are looking at maybe softening or diminishing a a divisive element of truth, like Mm -hmm. there's the Bible says clearly, you know, there's no way to the Father but by me. Correct. And if someone wants to soften that a little bit for the sake of evangelism, acquiescing to that approach actually could lead to diminishing what is true in the Scripture. 
Yeah, it's not even so much changing. It's not even so much, I think, today is complete falsehood, although that, I think, exists certainly in our culture and our political realm. But it's also just kind of, as you use the words, softening or uh, lowering the standards, if you will, of the gospel or our morality and ignoring certain kinds of things. You know, the, the challenge always for Christians and for the church is how do we be in this world but not of this world. Right. And we've been leaning way too much towards being of this world in order to accomplish some things. Do we realize we're doing that, though? Because I think by nature, people are syncretistic. I think they, they, they incorporate things from their political worldview or from their cultural perspective that they think are Christian, but they haven't properly examined those things against the Scripture to see whether those are actually kingdom things versus perhaps Democrat things or Republican things or, or you know, uh, things that come from a particular ethnic culture or something to that effect. I, I totally agree. I, I think that we are not, uh, and again, I'm painting with a broad brushstroke uh, about our churches or the people that are sitting in pews, do not have a good knowledge of the Bible. Um, right. They get a 20 to 30 minute sermon on every other Sunday. Uh, Barnes says uh, average Christians are only attending church about 24 Sundays a year. So 24 half-hour times a year is the only biblical input that they're getting. So it's not even so much uh, uh, portraying untruths, it's that they don't know the truth. Mm. So they don't have something to compare to when the culture directs them in a different direction or is promoting right. an untruth. They don't have something to compare that to say, eh, that's not necessarily true. I might should be considering a, a more scriptural way. So is that part of the reason why you opened the book with this idea of an we have an addiction yes. to untruths? Is that part of why we're, we're, we're susceptible to such an addiction? Sure. I think we're still a sinful people, whether we're Christians or unchristians. And our basic nature is going to want to go to the things that are comfortable, pleasurable, easy, and the truth of Scripture is not always comfortable and easy. It's hard, um, especially when you're going against the tide of the culture, uh, whether it's at the workplace or recreation or even within your family members. It's tough for us to go against the tide. And so when culture pulls us towards untruth or away from just the truth in general, it's tough to stand up and say, nah, I'm going to follow the truth of, of, of Scripture. One, they don't know it, or it's very difficult to, to not acquiesce to the way the culture is pulling us these days. So, again, going back to side of our depraved nature, which Paul yes. addresses early in Romans when he says um, they exchanged the truth yes. for a lie. We don't even know we're doing it. Correct. I mean, we think something is true that's a distortion of the truth. Yes. And we're convinced of it. And we may even hold deeply held convictions around it and be passionate around it uh, to the point where it polarizes uh, us from from others. And yet the things that are true, we, we, we may not see them as yeah. true, even though God has revealed them to be true. I think we're still suffering a little bit from what some were calling the seeker sensitive or seeker driven church model, where we wanted to lower the bar to allow people to come to church. In other words, don't give them too much truth. Don't, don't be uh, so hard on people about what the gospel is in order to get them in the front door. And I think, you know, 30 years later, we're starting to see the consequences of that. People are less educated in Scripture and don't know the truth, 
don't even know that they're drifting to the untruths of the culture today. So I'm going to play the Lord's advocate because, of course, the devil doesn't need any help. Right. So I'm going to go with the Lord's advocate here and just push back a little bit and say, but, you know, clearly I'm a visitor. I walk in for yes. the first time into your church. Uh, maybe it's Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I get up and say, today we're going to talk about hell. Yes. And we're going to talk about, uh, yeah, obviously, we believe biblically that that's, hell exists, right? And, but, but today I'm going to talk about hell and why you're going there. Yes. <laughs> you know? and, they just, and they just go right after, yep. you know, total depravity and sin and, and your need for, you know. And everything they're saying is correct. Yep. But that person who's coming in hurting, uh, looking for some answers to life's deepest problems and questions, hears that and goes, ugh. And they have no context for hearing that. Is it wrong to kind of meet them where they are and, and contextualize things so that they can hear the fullness of the gospel at some point? Yeah. I would never say that we're not to preach uh, the, the realities of, of a hell, which is scriptural, but there's a way to preach the truth in a way that's still sensitive to newcomers or people who are not Christians. My bottom line is I always say to people is the Holy Spirit is able to be much more sensitive to unchristians and visitors than I can ever uh, do. And so if we will allow the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in me as I preach, that I have love, patience, kindness, et cetera, et cetera, as I preach, uh, I can still preach about difficult passages that challenge people. And I think the other piece of that is as we welcome and embrace people who are new and maybe unbelievers, make them feel welcome and not separated from the church so that there's not a us and a them in, in, the, in the community of faith as they, they gather for worship, we can still preach the difficult, challenging truths of the gospel. So tell me if you're seeing something out there different than what I'm seeing. Yes. Because what I see is a lot of Christians who hold to truth. Now, whether or not that's without them realizing it, their truth or their version of the truth, they're convinced that this is true, and they're they're very dedicated to that. And going into this politically charged environment, they hold forth the truth. And and sometimes I hear them say stuff, and I go, I agree with that. Yes. And sometimes they say something, and I go, Ooh, I'm not so sure. I agree with that, but I I'm not sure I'm seeing kindness and patience and and gentleness and self control. Some of the things you mentioned earlier, the fruits of the spirit. How do you combine speaking the truth, but doing it in, in a love. way that is loving. Yes. I think it's very difficult today. You know, we have not only politically, but culturally have so separated left and right. Uh, theologically, you've got legalism on one side, you've got licentiousness on the other side. Uh, Bonhoeffer's cheap grace, for example. And so it's hard to come into the middle with the gospel. I think Christ is... Don't the people on the one side think you're compromising if yes. you say the middle? That's I mean, right. Just, I can hear people already saying, oh, come to the middle with the gospel, you're compromising, you're dropping your That's standards. Right. we got to hold the truth in an uncompromising way. Yeah, I think, you know, Christ was so much apolitical. He was some, you know, maybe he delved a little bit into politics for his time, but he was so centered on his truth, on his gospel. And again, it's hard to do but preaching the gospel with great love and grace. I think the, the challenge, especially with our 
mega church situation today, although that's diminished some. But being in a large church for a pastor is hard because part of being able to preach the truth with love is to getting to know your parishioners, is allowing the parishioner to know you and embrace you. And, and it's so much easier to be able to tell people the hard truth when they know you and even know your uh, downsides, yeah. know the areas where you're weak in. But to be able to embrace that, and that's hard to do in a much larger church. It's just uh, physically difficult to do. And so I think we're, hopefully, we're moving back to a little bit more mission-oriented church where the pastors get to know the people, people get to know the pastor. It's so much easier to be able to tell someone that you have a relationship with the hard truths than it is to someone who doesn't really know you or you don't know them really. Right. We're, it's, it's a little antidotal at this point. We're, we're trying to find ways to get the data to support this. But some of the discussion on a, a social media site that a lot of EPC pastors use seems to suggest that we might be moving in the direction of longer-term pastorates than we've seen before. Yes. And um, certainly one of the data points that we do know is 62% of EPC congregations are under 100 members, 74% under 200 members. And if you take some of the data and research that Sam Rayner has done in his book, The Surprising Return of the Neighborhood Church, it looks like there's an opportunity here, Roger, where the kind of pastoral leadership that you're describing is kind of, we're kind of trending in that direction, right? We're, we're trending toward people wanting to be in more highly relational, smaller, churches where the pastor is known and you can be known yes and there's that opportunity for that kind of discipleship really truth, truth telling yeah totally agree yeah but but it's in a relational context where it, it it has some it has some sticky qualities to it yes. right yes yes so if someone were to get your book the architecture of truth what would they find and why would it be going into particular i want to i want you to address the political season that we're in here a little bit why would this be a helpful tool for, say, a small group mm -hmm. in a church to read and discuss going into this national political cycle? Yeah. Like with all of my books, I have small group questions at the right. end of this. And so, one of the things I love about you is you're not just the professor, you're the pastor. And yes. so you always ground the theory in something very practical. Yeah. So I know being pragmatic has its shortcomings, but you're also not so esoteric that, you know, people don't know what to do with this. You give them some really good steps. I hope that's true. Yeah, I think so. Coming into this presidential election time and, and other down ballot elections, this would be a great opportunity for a small group of four, five, six, seven, eight people to get together, read the book, and discuss the questions that would have, I think, great implications on deciding how they're going to vote, whether they're Republican or Democrat or someplace in the middle, where 40% of our population is, by the way, they're either independents or, like myself, unaffiliated, and to begin to wrestle with how do I uphold the truth and still make some political decisions about how I vote. So I think it would be a great opportunity for the for this book. Right, rather than just saying, so I'm a Christian, therefore I vote Republican, or I'm a Christian, therefore I vote Democratic. Correct. You're actually applying uh, biblical ideas to discerning through, because you may end up voting for a Republican here and a Democrat there because they're in alignment more with God's revealed truth. Correct. Okay. And how would people go about getting a hold of, of your... Well, this is available on Amazon, or also you can get it from our good friend at Hearts and Minds Books, 
uh, he has it in stock, and so they can order it from either place. Yeah, so Byron Borger is a dear friend of Rogers and mine, and he's got this wonderful bookstore in, uh, I think it's Dallas Town, That's correct. Uh, Pennsylvania, but of course has an online presence like anybody does these days. And one of the things that Byron does that is such a gift is not just have books like yours available for people to get a hold of, but he does book reviews yes. and very thoughtful analysis of all kind of different things out there. So they can go to Hearts and Minds, uh, at Google that, and mm-hmm. find your book. They can go to Amazon and find the book and, and your other two books previous to this. That's correct. Okay. So I want to finish with this. You said something to me before we started the, the conversation um, off mic that I wanted you to put on mic, which is a conversation you had with your, your publisher uh, recently about uh, the trends we see in writing books and reading. Could you share that with yeah, our we, listeners? Whip in stock before they published this uh, third book of mine told me that readership across the country, which I thought was surprising, is down. That fewer people are reading books, even with Kindle and all other kinds of avenues to get to books. It's because they have podcasts now, yeah, probably. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So readership is down, but the publication of books has increased. And the average author across all genres, not just Christian books or novels or whatever, uh, uh, is only about... 250 books. So whatever the author is writing about, uh, they're only selling about two to 300 books uh, when that book comes out. And so it was, it was a little surprising to me, a little discouraging, uh, but nevertheless, um, I'm glad to continue yeah, this writing. Retirement cash cow that you were counting That's on right. as an established author is not <laughs> not materializing the way one no, might expect. No, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know you're not doing it because of the money. You're doing it because God has accumulated in you over the years some wisdom that ought to be passed on to others. And uh, it's wisdom that's grounded not only in the scriptures, uh, but in the context of the local church. Thank you. And uh, we're just grateful for your time to come and share that with us today. Thank you. I'm honored and thankful to be able to do this. Thank you, Dean. So the book is called The Architecture of Truth. The author is Roger Woodworth, Reclaiming the Gospel from the World's Untruths. a very timely book. Um, it's, it's, it's a small book. It comes with study uh, questions for small groups. And so it might be going into this national election cycle, something that's ideally suited for you and your small group. Uh, Pass it on to those in your church who might be interested. I think you'll find it to be super profitable. And I would love that Roger comes back to me six or eight months from now and says, as a result of that podcast, we, we blew out the statistics and we went well beyond the 250 or so because we're up to, I think, over 25,000 downloads now for our Amen. modest little podcast. And we're in 44 different countries and, and all of those people have access to your book uh, online. And so even if any of those folks start querying that and saying, that sounds helpful, especially at this time of year, uh, maybe we could help you buck the trends on readership and books. I would love that. Thank you. All right. Well, I would love that for you. And uh, that would be awesome. All right, my friends. Well, thank you very much for your time and your investment today in the conversation. And if this has uh, encouraged you, I pray that you would um, share it with others, that you would look into Roger's book, and that you would join us again for another edition of In All Things as we drop every Friday at your favorite podcast platforms. By way of closing out our conversation, we always end with a good word that is from God's word that fits well with our conversation today from Colossians 1, where the scripture says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. That's the one that really gets me. 
They're all for him. I know he creates everything that is good, but so much of it has gotten distorted. But he wants it to be good again. And one day he declares, I'll make all things new because it's for him. He's before all things, and in him, that is our Savior Jesus, all things, especially truth, hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church, the way, the truth, and the life. That is our Savior Jesus. It's in his name that until the next time when we gather in this venue to have another conversation, I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of the entire team, please join us for our next episode. For more information about the EPC, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.